Can we just give uh, praise to Jesus, please? Some of you may have seen this. We, we had three, uh, three people who just decided to cannonball into Jesus this morning, which was really fun. Uh, baptized into Christ, you got uh, a new brother and two sisters, so praise God for that. One of the things that plagues my soul, if I'm being honest, is when I find myself just going through the motions. You ever do that? Just, just going through the motions. I'm just checking boxes. You know what I mean, right? There's no real intentionality. We're just kind of doing what we do. There's kind of minimum effort. There's no real enthusiasm or commitment. We're just, I'm doing what's expected, just going through the motions. This can happen with anything. Oftentimes it starts off happening when it comes to housework for me. I mean, I want to I want to keep up with things around the house. I want to clean the house well. I want to vacuum up the dog's little tumbleweeds of hair. I want to wipe the counters down well. I want to keep the laundry going because I know that serves my family. It, it, it serves my wife, Michelle. But I sometimes just go through the motions. I, I don't do my best. I just, I just, but I do it. I just check that box, right? We've probably all experienced this in some way, shape, or form. You go to the grocery store, you're picking up the kids up from school, or you get to the end of your day and you go, how did I get here? I, I, I don't, I, somebody asks you, hey, how was your day? Good, I think. I, because we're just going through the motions, right? You don't remember, you weren't really present, just, just doing the things, just checking the boxes. It happens, it happens here, too. It's routine, it's, it's Sunday, it's what we do. We go to church. It makes you feel good, you smile, you sit in the same place for the most part, uh, you, you exchange some pleasantries with the people around you, sing the songs because everybody else is singing them, uh, you like music, you sit for an hour, you shake a couple hands, before you know it, you're back in your recliner and, how did I get here? Well, you went through the motions. It, it, you, you check that box. And there are times when I do the same thing. I was reflecting this past week on this entire September sermon series, uh, Cannonball, that we've been in, and, and I realized um, I can't do any of the things that, that we've been talking about doing by checking a box. Going through the motions will never keep me connected to the vine of Jesus. Uh, going, I can't go through the motions and be a branch. I'll never catch the wind just by going through the motions. I'll never wreck the roof for anyone just by checking a box from time to time. I can't be a devoted follower of Jesus by going through the motions, and neither can you. Well, those two things don't go together. They don't coexist. It's not possible. No one does a cannonball and comes up under, from underwater wondering, how did I get here? And yet, that's sometimes how we live our lives every day. Just going through the motions. I want to conclude our sermon series today, um, and I just want to plead with you. Instead of, instead of living our lives, just going through the motions, instead of checking boxes with Jesus, let's be people who, who empty the jar. Empty the jar. The, the, the story I want us to encounter today is found in Luke chapter 7. It's a dinner party at a Pharisee's house by the name of Simon. 
This guy Simon invites Jesus to come to his house for dinner. And it's important for us to understand, just like any culture in that culture, in that time, there were some unwritten rules, some, some expectations. This is how you uh, honor a guest. This is how you treat someone that comes in your home. These are some things you do. These are, this is what good manners looks like, right? It's how you be polite. And everyone knows these things. They go unsaid. And on this night, at this dinner party, there are a lot of bad manners, Simon breaks a whole bunch of these rules, and it's not because he doesn't know them. That's not the issue. Simon is disrespectful. He doesn't honor Jesus, but then he gets a, a lesson on how to treat Jesus from, from, this, from this woman who wasn't even invited to the party. It's Luke chapter 7. We're going to pick up in verse 36. Luke writes, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. Jesus answered him, which is interesting because Simon thought that in his head. If he's a prophet, he would know. Simon, I've got something to tell you. That phrase, I have something to tell you in the Middle East, is a, is a phrase that, it's an idiom that means I'm about to tell you something harsh. It would kind of be like if you and I were to say to someone, hey, I don't mean to overstep, but I'm going to overstep here. <laughs> Simon, I've got something to tell you. Verse 40 continues. Simon says, tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she, she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Would you just pray with me real fast. Lord, would you teach us today? Would you reveal your will to us? Would you convict us? Would you help us to be a people who empties the jar? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Jesus is invited to uh, this Pharisee's house for, uh, for dinner, but when he shows up, Simon's rude. It was custom uh, in this time period, in this culture, to greet a person of, of equal social standing with a kiss on the cheek. If, if you really wanted to honor your guests, you would kiss their hand. But Jesus doesn't, doesn't get either of these. It would be like if you invited um, someone over your house, and when they came, you didn't give them a hug. 
nor did you even shake their hand or pat them on the back. Like, why did, why did you even invite me? Like, this is, this is weird. And Jesus comes in and his feet are dirty and dusty from walking along the roads in his Jerusalem cruisers. Uh, it's just dirt everywhere. It was custom in that day. In fact, it was mandatory in that day for, for, uh, for, you to have your feet, for you to wash your feet before eating a dinner like this. Now, if the host really wanted to, uh, to honor their guest, the host himself would wash your feet. At the very least, oftentimes it was a, a household uh, servant who did that. At the very, very least, you would offer them a, a basin of water and a towel to wash their own feet. None of that happens. Jesus has feet that are dirty. They don't get washed. Also in those days, it, if you really wanted to bless a guest in your home, it wasn't mandatory, it wasn't necessarily custom, but if you really wanted to honor them, you, you would, you would uh, anoint them, you, a little, one little drop of an inexpensive olive oil on their head. I'm not sure we have a, a cultural equivalent to that in our day and age, but, but it was really a way to, to really bless your guest. And Simon doesn't do that for Jesus either. And so Simon, or Jesus comes into this man's house as a guest, and he, Simon does nothing to honor him. And I guess the question is worth asking, like, why did, why did you bother? Like, why would you even bother inviting Jesus over to your home if this is how you're going to treat him? And I think it's because Simon was just going through the motions. Simon was... was check in a box. You see, as the, as the ranking religious leader, part of his job would have been to um, have the visiting rabbi over into his home. Jesus had been teaching, you know, visiting rabbi. All right, Jesus, you, you, you can come over to my house if you want to. I'll have some food you can eat. Just check in a box. It, it's, it's, he's doing what's expected of him. It's, it's his religious responsibility He's doing it out of duty, not because he cares, not because he wants to, but because he feels like he has to, right? Some of you are here for that very same reason. It feels like pressure. You don't really want to be here. If you're honest, you're checking your watch, make sure you're home for kickoff. You're here because you feel like it's, it's what's expected of you. It's, it's, it's what you've always done. It's your religious responsibility and frankly, it's easier just to come than to not come because then your family throws a guilt trip on you and so you're, you're here, you're going through the motions. I feel like that's what's happening in Luke chapter seven. I think Simon's heart really isn't in it. It's just because he feels like he has to. He's checking a box. He's going through the motions. But don't miss the irony of, of this moment. You see, Simon went to rabbinical school. He... he, he that means by the time he was 12, he would have had the first five books of the Bible memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 12. <laughs> I have a 12-year-old. There's, there's no way. I love you dearly, hon. It's funny, like some of us, some of you, you've tried to read through the whole Bible in a year, like January, I'm going to read through the whole Bible. Where do you get stuck? Leviticus, right? Genesis, man, it's creation, it's cool. Exodus is Moses, it's awesome. Leviticus, nope, I'm out, I'm done. Where's John, where's the New Testament? Simon had them all memorized, and by age 15, 
the entire Old Testament committed to memory. And so we're talking about a guy who has 300 prophecies about Jesus committed to memory, just floating around in his head, 300 prophecies about the Messiah, and now the Messiah sits across the table from him in his own house, and he doesn't even know it. He spent his entire life studying and learning about the Messiah, and now the Messiah is here, and his feet haven't been washed, and his cheek hasn't been kissed, and his head hasn't been anointed. That happens, I guess. I mean, it happens in Simon's house. I think sometimes it happens in this house. Oh, we know a lot. We, we, we've learned a lot. We might even win some Bible trivia, but our heart's not. And we, we, we come, but we miss the Messiah. Simon sits at a table across from the Messiah and doesn't even realize it. And then on the scene comes this woman. Verse 37 describes her as a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. The way that's written, it wasn't that she had sinned at some point. It was that she sinned for a living. Uh, some of your translations might say she was a woman of the city. All the commentators would agree this woman on some level was a prostitute. Now just think about this for a moment. She walks into a dinner party of religious leaders, and everyone knows who she is. Can you imagine the tension in that room? It would have been incredible. And some of the people there would have glared at her. What in the world is she doing here? What, what was, why would someone like that think they could come to a place like this. Uh, I imagine a bunch of them just had kind of had their heads down. They're just embarrassed. They're embarrassed for Simon. They're embarrassed for the whole situation. Maybe some of those religious leaders' hearts started pounding because they know her and she knows them and maybe she's there to talk. And she finds herself at the feet of Jesus. I'm guessing Jesus, having taught earlier in that day, probably recognized her from the crowd. We don't know what he taught. We're not told that. But there's something that he said that made her know how he felt about her. So much so that she walks into this room and she knows that everybody is looking at her and she doesn't care. She sees Jesus, and no man has ever looked at her that way before. And I just have to believe he's smiling. And she comes and she falls at Jesus' feet. She probably had kind of in mind, here's what I'm going to say when I get to him, but now the words just don't come. Her tears begin falling on his dirty, dusty feet, and she can see the, the streaks from the, from the tears. There's, there's streaks going through the dirt on his feet. No one has washed his feet. She can't ask for a towel, not in this room. And so, so she lets down her hair, and in the room there's this audible gasp because you don't do that in that culture. To let down your hair in that culture in front of a man who was not your husband was considered such an intimate expression that it was grounds for divorce. And she lets down her hair, and the tears start coming, and she washes the feet of Jesus with her tears, and she dries them with her hair. And everyone's expecting Jesus to say something. Woman, what, what are you doing? 
You know how weird and awkward and inappropriate this is, right? Stop it. But he doesn't say anything. She has a jar of perfume around her neck. Um, it's an alabaster jar of perfume, Luke tells us. It's expensive. It's, it's really important. This would have been necessary for her profession. She would have used one drop of perfume at a time, one man at a time. And she takes this jar, and she just empties it on the feet of Jesus. Empties, just pours the whole thing out. And you can imagine the room just would have been overwhelmed with this aroma, this scent. And the jar represents so much. Obviously, it's expensive. It's, it's valuable. It could have been sold. But, but it also represents a life that, that she had lived and that she had put her trust in. This jar represents really her identity that now she's surrendering and she's just emptying it all out on the feet of Jesus. And was it reckless? Yeah, it was reckless. <laughs> was it impulsive? I mean, I, I think so. I don't know that she knew that Jesus' feet would be unwashed. Was what she did inappropriate? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, totally inappropriate. It would have offended everybody in that room. Did Jesus love it? Yeah, I think he did. I think, he, I think he loved it. And so the question I've got for you and I to wrestle with here is, when's the last time you had a moment like this with Jesus? When's the last time you were, you were in this moment where you were so moved by the love and the grace of Jesus that you had tears? The last time you were so amazed at this grace that is, that is offered to you that it was just overwhelming. When, when's the last time you just sat at the feet of Jesus and looked in his face just because I want to I tell him how much I love him. I don't want anything in return. I just want to worship him for who he is and, and what he's done. When's the last time you emptied your jar on the feet of Jesus? I, I don't want this to be rhetorical. Like seriously, when's the last time? Surrendering in such a way that other people are a little worried about you because maybe you've taken this devotion thing a little far. Emptying the jar is not always practical. It's a little, it can be a little uncomfortable. And it's marked by the way we respond to the forgiveness that we've been given. The one who's been forgiven much loves much. The one forgiven little loves little. And the challenge for Simon isn't that he doesn't have a lot to be forgiven. It's that he doesn't realize it. This woman realized she had been forgiven a lot. Forgiven much, loves much. And so we find her bowing at the feet of Jesus, emptying the jar of her love and adoration, her identity, everything she is, everything she has at the feet of Jesus. In just a, a few moments, we're going to have a, an opportunity to respond to Jesus in, in several different ways. Uh, but, but first, I, I want to share four things I want us to understand about emptying the jar from Luke chapter 7. The first one is this. Uh, emptying the jar means engaging. Simon refused to engage. He, he was there. He was just off to the side watching this whole thing unfold. Kind of arrogantly. He didn't realize his self-righteousness makes God want to throw up. Simon didn't realize that, that he should, how broken he should feel for trying to take the place of God and be the vine instead of just being a branch. So he just sat off to the side, just didn't engage. Some of you today need to engage with Jesus to stop checking boxes and stop 
just going through the motions to confess your needs, to confess your sins, to lean into Jesus rather than running and shying away from him, to let go of pride and engage regardless of who's watching. Emptying the jar, it's also, it's emotional. You see, when we refuse to engage with Jesus, we, we just kind of put up these walls of stoicism, this hardness, and we remain emotionally absent. Jesus said that the greatest commandment in all of Scripture is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Every other, the other 612 commandments all hang on this one commandment. And your heart is the seatbed of your emotions. You can't love God without, with all your heart, soul, and mind without being emotional. And when you understand just how much the Lord loves you and how much he's done to pursue you and rescue you, our heart's desire, the Holy Spirit's desire in us is to pour out our love on him. Some of you are here and you see people worship and you see people celebrate and you just think they're, they're a little bit carried away. I mean, it's fine for a football game but not, not in church. You can celebrate the ravens that way, but not the savior of the world. And you get this little uncomfortable, and it seems a little bit weird, and they're drawing attention to themselves. You know how you feel about that? And I, I <laughs> you don't get it. The one that's forgiven much Loves much. Jesus talked about this attitude in, when he's quoting Isaiah in Matthew 15. And he says, these people, hey, they're here. They honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. And so Jesus says, let me explain it to you. If you understood what God has given to you, the grace that has been made available to you, if you realize just a little that your sins, all of them, can be forgiven by Jesus, then of course you empty the jar. It's what you do. And that means engaging, and that's emotional, and it's also expressive. Emptying the jar is expressive. I know, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, I know that if I was in the room that day, when that dinner party, that night, when that woman of that city came in and she was expressing her love and her worship on Jesus without any concern for the religious people watching, I would have been uncomfortable. I'm a lot more like Simon than I think. And this whole week, the Lord's kind of been impressing upon me, Adam, <laughs> you don't get it. She got it. Emptying the jar means that, that we're going to express our love and worship so extra extravagantly that it makes religious people get a little uncomfortable. <laughs> I think that means you're doing it right. That you get it. You see, because worship should cost us something. It's a sacrifice of praise. It's a, it's a putting ourselves aside and, and choosing to humble ourselves, to bow at the feet of someone greater, uh, uh, to an audience of one, our eyes, our hearts, our minds, all of our devotion toward Jesus alone, falling at his feet, lifting up his name, pouring out our love to him. Let me just share one more thought. Emptying the jar requires enthusiasm. Now, before you get feisty with me, take a breath. I'm not an enthusiastic person. That's okay. That's not what I'm saying. Just bear with me. But before we can, before we can empty the jar in the ways we're talking about it, this may be a new thing for you. This, this, 
that you're growing into. And I want you to hear me say, that's cool. Keep reflecting on how much that, that you have been forgiven and you will grow into loving him and worshiping him faithfully and honestly and authentically. But you can't worship Jesus. You can't empty the jar without enthusiasm. And here's why. The reason isn't because of the definition, the meaning of our word enthusiasm, but rather where this word comes from. Our word enthusiasm comes from the Greek word entheos, which breaks down into in God, being full of God. The New Testament would say in Christ. That's how the New Testament talks about being a Christian. You're in Christ. And when a person has God in them or is in Christ, we should have a different level of enthusiasm toward the Lord. Let's just be honest. But the fact is, you won't worship Jesus without knowing him, without being in a relationship with him. And and that doesn't happen without being united with him in Christ, in Jesus. And so, emptying the jar requires enthusiasm. It requires being in Christ. Church, I want you to know that emptying the jar, like being a branch, catching the wind, wrecking the roof, that's cannonball living. That's what it looks like. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray. Uh, Austin's going to come up here and lead us through taking communion together. We're going to respond to Jesus that way. Then our, our, our worship team's going to lead us through some songs that, that we're able to just oh, have some space where we can empty the jar and engage with Jesus as, as one body, something spectacular about the body of Christ worshiping together. It's also all super awesome when you can just, you and God alone, worshiping him alone. But while that's happening, we also just want to leave some space for some of you that maybe, maybe your next step is you're, you need to engage with Jesus. Maybe your next step is, is emptying the jar for the very first time, surrendering your life to Christ and Christian baptism, having all of your sins washed away, and the gift of the Holy Spirit, as the Bible promises, by being united with him. And so we just want to make that available. That's, I mean, it's always available, but particularly in, in this service, towards the last part of this service, we're just going to be singing to the Lord. And if you, if you know that's your next step, I'll be down here. Come, like, let's cannonball, man. Let's jump. Let's do that. Pray with me. Father, I, I forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive me for just going through the motions with you, with, with our faith. Forgive us when, when we're more concerned about being like Simon, to, to look the part, to do what's expected, to go through the motions, to check the box. We're more concerned about that rather than pouring our love on you. And so God, I pray that you would empower us to acknowledge our need And our desire to to be like this woman, forgiven much, loving much, not caring who's watching. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.